Welcome to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are Christian Disciples in Mission. Let's just take a moment to be silent for a second. Maybe think about your breathing a little. Take in a deep breath. Sometimes we do this practice. We breathe in, take all of the goodness of God in, and then maybe let out some of the, the rough stuff in life, the negative stuff, stuff that doesn't help. And breathe in again. And then we let it out again. Thank you, O oh God, for... Now we've had two pauses already this morning about three, four minutes each. Sometimes when we practice something, we're able to learn something from it. So, there's a, um, a great uh, uh, saying that says, uh, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. Right? I'm sure you've all heard that before. Um, what we'd like to do now is just go ahead and take a second and think about, think about your favorite time to pray. What's the favorite time? Maybe it's being quiet. Like I said, Mass. We talked about all these different things. Thanksgiving. We had, that was a great list. Seriously, one of the best lists I've ever heard. But I want you to turn to somebody that you don't know next to you or behind you. And I want you to go ahead and just say to them, this is my favorite way to pray. This is what I like the best. This is where I feel closest to God. And for some of you, that might be hard. I understand that. Because you don't, you know, some, there, there's introverts and extroverts, right? We've got two different people. I'm the introvert. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> so just turn to the person next to him. Say, What's your favorite place to pray? What do you, what do you, what do you like? Where, where do you feel like you're closest to God? Ready, set, Go. Before bed with the kids. Beautiful. Where's your favorite place? In my backyard. 
All right. So uh, Father Eric and I slipped, uh, uh, flipped a coin, and we, uh, we talked about who would, who would do what. And uh, he got to be able to talk about the good times in prayer. I got to talk about the rough ones. <laughs> but that'll be okay. Um, but I'd like to go ahead and do this, this song before we start. This is a, one of my favorite prayers in the whole world. Uh, this is called The Simple Path. And we're going to sing it this Lent. So I'm going to teach you. You guys will know it by the time we get to Lent, okay? And it's very simple. Uh, we're going to put it up on the screens, I hope. Maybe. Here it comes. And, uh, but I'll tell you about the prayer first. Because it's a prayer that, to me, goes in a circle. It goes in a circle, okay? Because the first part says, the fruit of silence... If I'm a, is prayer. Everybody say it one time together. Ready? The fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. The proof of love is service. The fruit of service is peace. So it, for me, it, it's, a, it's kind of a perfect prayer because if you were to go ahead and say, okay, if I'm a person of silence, I can become a person of prayer. If I'm a person of prayer, I can become a person of faith. If I'm a person who has a lot of faith, I can really learn what it means to love. And if I learn what it means to love, then I can be of service. Then I can be a person of service. And if I, if I am a person of service, then I, I will be a person of peace as well. So if you know this one, and we've used this one for a while in different places, and, and I, I know that this is not the first time people know that this is one of my favorite prayers. But let's, uh, I'll sing it for you once, and I'll ask you to pray with me. Okay? The fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is service. The fruit of service is peace. Try it again. The fruit of silence is prayer. These are special prayers from, from St. Teresa, mother of Calcutta. Simple acts of kindness keep the light of faith burning. Our homes must be centers of compassion where we forgive endlessly. And if you judge people, you have no time to love them. 
The fruit of silence is prayer. Let no one ever come to you without leaving better or happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face. Kindness in your eyes. Kindness in your smile. Love begins at home. silence is prayer. with a group of people last night and one of the gals that was there said, hey, did you know that Martin Luther King, every time before he preached, would have five minutes of silence? And I went, no, I did not know that, but I'm using that in my talk tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that there there is a reason for doing all that silence, that it prepares ourselves to hear the word, to hear God speak to us. Now, some of us are real comfortable with silence. Some are not. Some um, have monkey brain. Anybody have monkey brain? Put your hand up if you have monkey brain. Oh, there's only four or five. Oh, come on now, monkey brain. There's two hands up in the back. Okay, good. So monkey brain is that it's just constantly going. Okay, there's something happening. Okay, now that makes me think about this. Okay, now I'm thinking about this. Okay, what about my kids? Okay, what about my job? Okay, what about my health? Okay, what about my house? Okay, what about my, right? And it just keeps going and going and going and going. I find for me, I find that the only way I can get past that, I do two things. First of all, I go ahead and sometimes I keep a little piece of paper next to where I'm praying, and then I write down something that comes to my mind and then I don't have to worry about it. Another thing I do is I go ahead and I just try to focus, focus, focus on the breathing. Just keep focusing on the breathing. In, breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. And if I start listening to that, and you can actually hear it, right? If I start listening to that, then I don't listen to other things. Just tips, okay? So prayer for difficult times. I was shocked to go on the internet. Can you imagine this? And I put in prayer for difficult times. Do you have any idea of how many prayers there are on the, the World Wide Web about difficult times? You can find one for everything. 
and every problem in your whole life, there's a prayer on the internet. You don't have to look any farther. You don't have to read a book. It's amazing to me. I mean, I found some great ones. It was interesting that this came up. My friends, consider yourselves fortunate when all kinds of trials come your way. For you know that when your faith succeeds in facing such trials, the result is the ability to endure. Make sure that your endurance carries you all the way without failing so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Turns out that's not even a prayer. It's actually from the Scripture. It's from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My friends, consider yourself fortunate when all kinds of trials come your way. Most of you know, uh, and forgive me if this is a little bit shocking, but most of you know about some of my history in my family. You know that I have five children and that my youngest daughter uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And it was the worst kind of brain tumor, not just a brain tumor. It was inoperable. And basically when they told us, they said that this kind of tumor only the, the, the possibility of someone living for more than a year is about 0%. And at that time, our world went to pieces. Everything we had known to that time changed. And um, my daughter ended up having to, she was the, a bright little star. She played violin. She sang. She was a dancer. She wrote music. She wrote poetry. She wrote plays. She, was a, she wrote a family newspaper called the Hillebrand Hints. <laughs> she copied them all out and gave us each a copy of the newspaper because she didn't know she could make a copy of it. <laughs> Just think about that. A three-page thing. How long that must have taken. Anyhow, great. Just The kids all say that she had the best of all of us. And to watch her suffer and to lose all of her faculties. She couldn't speak, she couldn't walk, she couldn't talk. Barely could eat by the end. It was pretty, pretty tragic. I mean, it's the worst. I, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure everybody has a story. We've all been through something, right? I am no, and that's the thing, I am not alone in this. I'm pretty sure a lot of you could get up and tell a similar story, something terrible that's happened in your lives. And people will say, I can't imagine. 
I will go, well, good for you. You don't have to imagine, do you? Because it was real. But we've all been through something. And one of the first things that Father Eric actually said to me was, there'll be a lot of blessing in this. And at that time, I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? Because I don't think I understood it. How could there be a blessing? How? But it turns out that he was right. And the blessing was the fact that in our greatest need, in our times of of dire straits and catastrophe, awfulness. We were held up by people praying for us. I firmly believe that. People from, from this parish and from different places signed up and we had three meals a week for, for 16 months. We basically didn't have to cook for 16 months. My daughter, my, my wife, just we, all we had to do was eat, you know, eat one night and eat leftovers the next night. It was pretty good. We got a little sick of chicken. <laughs> but because of people walking with us, we were able to get through this. We went to a, uh, a time for uh, uh, people who've lost a child to meet together, people with brain, kids with brain tumors. And we all told our stories around the table, and we, it, we didn't do this until after like eight years that Julia had passed. I wish we'd done it earlier, because it was very helpful to talk to somebody who else is going through it. But to hear the stories that were being told and to find out some of these people still had to work nine to five, like their daughter was in the hospital and they were out working, and their daughter was slowly dying or whatever, and there was nobody to help. Nobody came over to say, can I take care of this for you? And it was in doing that that we realized how fortunate we were. We had so many people that walked with us that were brave enough to walk with us. And there were times when people did not. Some of my best friends did not step up to the plate like I thought they would. And that sounds surprising, but it, they couldn't do it. It was too hard. So I share this story, and I don't always share it, and some of you have heard it before. But um, I share it because that, that is what got us through. It was the prayer of other people lifting us up and not just being a prayer person, but prayer in mission. That they came and did something. The people that came and colored with Julia, the people that came and painted, painted with Julia, the people that worked so hard on trying to get a thing for her leg so she wouldn't fall when she was walking, the people that helped us make sure we got the right wheelchair in the right time, all those little things. That was how we made it. 
So that's my story. It's not a fun story. I'm sorry it's so deep this morning. So, but I, but I, I just tell this story because, and how did I pray during that time? I don't know. I can't remember. I prayed a lot. I prayed for her healing. We hoped for a miracle. We never gave up hope for a miracle. And at the end, the miracle is that she is healed, that she's in heaven, where we all want to be. So I feel bad for Father Eric because now he's going to talk about the ups of prayer. <laughs> but the, uh, but I, do, I do have to say, though, that um, it, your, your prayer, when you're in a difficult time, for me, sometimes is why God, sometimes is why me, sometimes is why her, Sometimes it's, it's not fair. Sometimes you see, it's kind of amazing. You look at this community of people who've gotten, had this disease happen to their children. It's hardly ever people who are uh, down on their luck or not very nice people. It kind of always happens to people whose family is strong. It makes no sense to me. And yet, somehow there's something there too because there's been some collateral damage to it. You know, kids had to change their lives, my, my, the rest of my siblings. But they, they did go ahead and, they were able to go ahead and walk with her through this. And it was a beautiful time. But God was with us through it all. Amen. Okay, you're on. <laughs> Thanks. It's not a problem to talk right now. I'm glad to talk about it because that's powerful things have happened. It's what our faith is about. It's seeing God in even moments like this. So, Paul, yeah, blessings came out of it. This church was packed with people at Julia's massive resurrection. Unbelievable. And it isn't just the testimony of a poor little girl dying and everyone feeling sorry for Paul. I was looking at your entire family, Nan, his wife, and all the children, and the ministry that Paul has done throughout this country and the diocese, that they touched a lot of lives. You know, a lot of people there because the way you behave, the way you gave. But also, Paul taught me something, is that you have to allow people to be godlike. I don't know if you know this or not, I'm a very proud guy, okay, you know? I don't like people to help me, I like my independence. Huh? And uh, a lot of times, you know, I, uh, when you're a priest, you get everything, okay? Let's be honest, you know? I, you know, if I want coyote tickets tonight, I got them. All I gotta do is ask, you know? <laughs> If I want a free meal, I just got to ask and play the priest part. I mean, easy. I mean, and, I, and I'm being very serious about that, that I can get whatever I want. And so a lot of times I just kind of go, you know, I, I, 
don't want to be bothered by anyone and all. And Paul kind of lectured me one time that I've never forgotten. I've always used that. Allow people to be godlike because you rob that people of their dignity because it's about them wanting to give. And one of the things that's so hard, it was the most powerful massive resurrection I've ever been part of. It's amazing about our faith and our belief in resurrection and all. And yet, you know, Paul, the following week, uh, how many funerals we do a year? We do a lot of funerals there, you know. I, I can't imagine many masses without Paul's voice there, huh? Okay? He's the only guy that should ever be allowed to sing as we light this candle at a wedding because we, we got that another wedding today because when someone else sings it, it just doesn't sound the same, you know? <laughs> We've been together for over 30 years practically, you know, a long, long time. And yet, he had to play at other people's funerals. This is fresh off losing your own child. And having to hear my homilies talk about nice things and comforting people, you know. And, and my heart just went out to Paul as well. But yet, Paul really teaches us, and all of us there, that prayer is communal, both in difficult times and in joyful moments. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. As he continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. And as he was entering the village, ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him, raised their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. One of them, realizing he had been healed, returned glorifying God in a loud voice. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus said and replied, Ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? And then he said to him, Stand up. Go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Luke is the only gospel that uses the word master to describe Jesus. And what he's saying, there is power in the word in the name of Jesus. That we just don't talk about Jesus being a nice guy. He was a nice prophet. He was the son of God. You know, we give him all these nice titles. But when we call out in Jesus' name, there's a presence there. Now, we want to go deeper in this gospel and saying, gee, they didn't give thanks. They were, they were not really thankful. No. The thing that happened is that the Samaritan, and there's other underlying tones of being the foreigner and, and being exclusive and all, but it really is of saying that he was the only one that recognized the messianic, the Messiah's presence there. The other nine, the Jews, were not totally wrong but they didn't see God working in that myth so it is hard to see God working in moments like this that's why if you've ever received the anointing of the sick or had your loved ones or friends receive that included in that as James tells us in the book of James is there people sick among you let him call for the priest to lay hands upon you if their sins are there their sins are forgiven and so whenever the priest 
celebrates with you that anointing of the sick, there is always forgiveness of sin because sin can blind us to God working even in moments that are hard to see God working in. Okay. Now, sometimes it can be hard seeing God working in good things because we fall into the trap that we got everything under control. You know why my life is going well? Because I get up and I work hard. I wake up at 4 in the morning and I say a little prayer and I hit the exercise room and I'm on my way. This company would fall apart. This parish would fall apart without me. My family would fall apart without me because I got things under control. And it's hard sometimes to see God in things that are, are going well. What Luke teaches us is that healing is not necessary salvation. People can be healed without faith. Prayer and healing need to lead us, what Luke is saying, to conversion. And conversion means that we expand our own narrowness. That was the problem with the other nine. It was all about them and their own personal salvation, and there wasn't much community in that. He comes back, the Samaritan, because he recognizes God is there, and he goes out and proclaims what Jesus does. And so, with our prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving, there's three things I'd like to kind of share with you. First of all, for us as Catholics, this is central. I, I'm kind of watching here, uh, and just an amazing place that we built. It took five years to build it. Every time we build, it's five years. Just want you to know that. We're like uh, Russia for many years, you know? You know, thanks to a lot of reasons and all. But, you know, wh why isn't this church more beautiful? Really. This doesn't compare to St. Patrick's in New York. It doesn't compare to Notre Dame when it was up. Huh? It doesn't compare to a lot of... Because when I, I look at some of the social media, people say, no, this is what a church looks like. Stained glass and all that. And, and you know, it is beautiful. Uh, Catholicism has great architecture that just makes you go, ah, and here in Rich Scottsdale, all we got is this weird wooden table. It's not even metal. It's not even gold. We got a wood. There could be termites in there if we don't have Terminex in there. <laughs> and it's circular. I don't know many altars like that. You know, a lot of people that are traditional don't like that because we don't have a, the finger of some saint kind of put in the stone there. And, and it's not stone, and you can't face east and have your back to the people there. But what a weird altar that it's circular. And, you know, someone did make a complaint, and they're probably right because we had to kind of build the way we did. But they said, if you look that way, it just looks like a movie theater. Yeah, it doesn't look very churchy. And you know, I said, you're probably right. You're probably right. But name a Catholic church that's operating without a table. You don't need pews. Some, of the church, some don't have roofs. Some don't have statues. Some don't have the tabernacle present where everyone can see it. Some don't have candles that you can light. Some have buttons that you can push that it lights for a while and charges you 10 bucks or whatever. Huh? <laughs> but you can't operate without the table. And so 
to us to be thankful and grateful, but to expand the community, to know that God is with us in difficult moments, but also in joyful times, it's Eucharist. The word means giving thanks. Thanksgiving. The body language and mindset of anyone at the table of the Lord is gratitude. Of those things we are grateful for. Yes, Lord, for a good day, for a Notre Dame victory, for, you know, uh, you know that we, didn't, we made it home safely, or the kids traveled well. We have good, healthy grandchildren. But also the things that you and I take for granted. I did it. I worked hard. My family's in this place because I worked my butt off. I'm responsible. God has a way of showing you a little different, doesn't he? But this is the central part. And and you and I have to have a role in this. One of the saddest things about Catholicism and growing up, and it's trying to come back because people are ignorant on their liturgy, is this. Your participation means just sitting there and listening to chant. Listening to what the priest tells you. And you want proof? Go to a funeral or a wedding at some Catholic churches. The most embarrassing thing is when Catholics say nothing. The Lord be with you. Nothing. Because you know why? First of all, no one's holding them accountable. No one's teaching them that they have a role in liturgy. You think going to Mass is like watching a movie. Entertain me. You do the praying for me. Because, Father, we were taught we shouldn't talk and we shouldn't chew the host, we shouldn't do all that. And what's coming back in is that participation means you sit there and all beautiful things happen around you and all you have to do is go, oh. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Exactly. You have a role. Thank you. That's what your baptism is about, to take ownership. Paul. You've been to a lot of weddings and funerals. How do our people respond? Because you do weddings and funerals everywhere in this diocese. What do you think, Paul? Much much better here than anywhere else. Yeah. Why? Because they're invited to do it. Exactly. But they know their role in that to give thanks to God. And so part of prayer is always communal. Catholics are community-minded. Salvation is always communal. God just doesn't give personal revelation. God told me to have Captain Crunch this morning at breakfast. Amen. <laughs> really, people kind of think, you know, God told me to do this, and this is why I'm financially successful. Because God told me, and I'm doing what God says. Nothing is revealed to Mary, to the saints, to any baptized Christian, only for your own personal edification. I'm almost done, Paul. No okay. <laughs> The sec- no, no, because he's got, he's got to keep me on time. He's not doing bad, okay? Because you know how I like to talk, okay? Okay, the second thing is that prayer should expand our prayer and awareness. So often, part of the problem here was that it only became about us, and so it, we can naturally fall into that. You know, let's pray for our troops in the United States. Let's pray for them. You know, God, they need them. I used to get that a lot when we were, you know, in situations in our country that, well, why aren't you praying for the troops every week? Well, we do. You can say it in your heart, but there's other things to pray too, but all of that's important. But we only pray for the United States. So I think there's no other country in the world that have parents that send their children to harm's way. 
There's no other country in the world but the United States of America that knows what it's like to send loved ones to war or to serve in the military. There's no patriotic pride except the country because the other countries don't matter. There's no parent that suffers like an American when their children are killed in action. You see how we pray? Sometimes it's only focus on us. And prayer of gratitude broadens that. Paul was so right in saying, it's just not about my story about Julia. Paul invited you to share into that we're in this together, that prayer is always communal. And you know, sometimes we don't, like Becky, I thought was a great image with the beach, you know, that we, we dab in. And sometimes we're still stuck, even when we're 100 years old, for my children, for my health. And those are good things to pray for. But it, I love when we do weekday mass and we encourage people to say out loud, I love for my daughter who's suffering mental illness and for all who are suffering mental illness. For my parents who are traveling and for all who are traveling. For those who have died. You know, for my grandpa and grandma who just died and for all who are grieving. You see what prayer does? makes us one that we're, we're not alone. And the final point that I want to make here is that, yeah, praying in gratitude. I, I would like you to try this, because this, this works for me so well. For one month, don't ask God for anything. Okay, that doesn't mean God doesn't... See, God already knows what you need even before you ask. We ask because we need the help. <laughs> we need to remind that we're needing God in our lives. But can you for one month only pray in thanksgiving? Can you only say, God, I am giving you praise for health, for house, for shelter, for the living in a good country, for being part, you know, being part of a good community, for my family and friends. I give you thanks and praise. Don't ask God for anything for one month because God already knows your need and you're naturally doing that when you just tell God you're grateful because you're reminding yourselves in your relationship with God that you have more than you need. You know, when I, when I do that, I find that all my problems aren't really that big. I, I'm really in a better mood, because you know when I'm in a foul mood, when Sunny Slope loses, you know, I'm in a bad mood, you know? <laughs> I'm in a bad mood, and you know why? Because you need to call me on it, because I'm not praying the right way. Because I'm only thinking what's wrong, what's broken, what's missing. Why people aren't behaving the same way? Why are my family members doing this to me? You know, why can't they, you know, why are they living that way or whatever? And when I really focus on just saying, God, for one month, is just simply giving you thanks, there's a better peace of mind. I'm able to handle difficult situations with more patience, more courage, better understanding where people are at. And I just invite you to try that every once in a while, you know? doesn't mean all your problems go away, but I think what it does is it helps you have, we sometimes forget in Scottsdale, have perspective. Okay? Have perspective. There are more good things happen. There's a lot of people complaining about life, about our country, about our parish and other things right now. These are people that have forgotten what gratitude is. You know, and some of the things that people complain about it's just, I don't even pay attention. It's called the ministry of ignoring. 
I learned, you have to do that. After 34 years, you just have to let people say, and you let it go. Because if it's a matter of life and death, if it's a matter of someone's soul, if someone should be listened to because they have a deep concern, we better listen. But if it's because you don't like it's too hot, too cold, you know, you don't like the music selection, you can't hear, welcome to Ministry of Ignoring. Huh? <laughs> Thanks. And uh, I think that's all we have for you. And right now we invite you to go ahead and party hardy at the tailgate. Everybody come on outside and enjoy the beautiful weather and enjoy each other. Thank you for coming, everyone. Bless you. <laughs>